Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and open them to 1 Peter chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Peter, an Ordinary Man Met by Grace. Peter, an Ordinary Man. You know, never once does the Bible overlook or dismiss the faults and failures of the men and women that he's chosen to use. Plainly, he writes through the pen of Paul when he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, he said, instead, God chose those things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. In the New King James, those that are the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And always on display is the wonderful glory of the grace of God, the glorious power of His Spirit on ordinary men and weak and frail men and women on the earth. When describing the brilliant gift of grace, I I love how it's described. Hold your place in 1 Peter. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 with me. And I love how Paul ends that passage in chapter 2. It's it's such a highlight of the Bible, chapter 2, but I love how he ends it. Notice with me in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Never forget we're saved not by our good works, but by the finished work of Jesus Christ. There's no question. And at, as he's writing in this section, this little paragraph, in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 8 it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not saved by our good works, and that's something that goes both ways. We're not saved by the amount of good that we have or how perfect we think we are or all the work. We're not saved by that. Neither are we condemned because we're failures or that we have stumbled and fallen or because we've made mistakes, because we have sinned. You see, if salvation were of works, then it would be easy to brag about it. We'd be able to come together and brag about how good we were this week. We'd be able to compare it with one another. We could, on some weeks, think about it. On some days, some weeks, we could feel really good about ourselves and look down on someone else. On other weeks, other days, somebody would look good, compare better than us, and then we would condemn ourselves and we'd be all beat up. No, salvation is not of works. It's not a continual pressure to work, to work, to work, to work our whole lives, and then finally at the end, never be sure that God loves us. Never be sure that God cares for us. Never be sure that we're going to make it in. No, he doesn't put it that. He doesn't put together our relationship with him based upon our works, but rather it is a gift of grace. And what do we do with gifts? We receive them. We open them and we enjoy them. Gifts are great to receive and to give. And God gives the gift of salvation to anyone that will repent of their sins and receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. That's good news. 
God saves anyone that will turn to him. So we're not here today. We're not gathered today. We're not online. We're not listening to Christian radio because we gave a lot. We're not here today because we read a lot or we sang a lot or we prayed a lot. We're here because of Jesus. That's what brings us together. That's where real unity lies. When we are together under the shadow of the cross, looking at the empty tomb and recognizing that anything that we have, we find unity in the Spirit of God. That means anyone, anywhere, from any background, any skin color, speaking any language, that doesn't matter how many zeros are in your bank account, doesn't matter if the ink is black or red, doesn't matter. God brings us together by faith in Jesus Christ, not because of what we've done, but because of what He has done for us. We're here for Him. We're here to worship Him everything that he's doing in and through us. And did you notice that word? Maybe you've never noticed it before, especially those of you that are newer to the Bible. Again, back in Ephesians, you got to mark this word because it's beautiful. It's a neat thing to be reminded of, those of you that have been walking with Jesus for a long time. And those of you that are new to the Bible, this is such a beautiful word in verse 10. Now, we're back in the New King James, by the way. And in the New King James, it's not really a pretty word where he says, for we are his workmanship. And it sounds like a heavy word, but it's actually a very beautiful word in the Greek language. It's the word poema, and it may sound familiar to you because it's the same word we get our English word, poem. We're his workmanship. We're his poem. Every follower of Jesus Christ is a different developing work of God. That's why we can all be different and yet still one in Christ. You're a work in progress. You could say you're like a sweet poem or a beautiful song that's written of God's grace. That's why we got to give space to one another because not everybody's at the same place. Not, not everybody is at the same place maturity-wise. Not everybody is at the same place uh, in the amount of time they've been serving God. Hey, not everybody here is even a believer in Jesus Christ yet. And we want to show the love and the grace and the mercy that we've experienced to everyone around us. And remember that God's still working on your neighbor, the person you're sitting next to, the person that you're exactly three chairs from right now. God is still working in them. God is still working in those that are watching. God is still working on you right now because he loves you. He's developing you. There's a Bible word for that, a theological word. If you want to study it, you can just put this word in the search bar in our website and you can listen to the Bible study on sanctification. Sanctification is that work, that ongoing work of God that is conforming you and shaping you and molding you into the image of Jesus Christ. I love that about God because he also does that and still preserves our personalities. Now, of course, the sinful parts of our personalities, God never approves of. But I think of just looking and how many people I know in this room and how many people I know that are, part, that are just so different Their personality is different. Their perspective is different. And yet God, he honors who you are, your upbringing and where you came. But then at the same time, we're all heading in the same direction. God is working out in our lives. He's developing us. And I think it's important, church, that we remind people who say that Christians aren't all that great. Remind people in our lives that say, well, I know Christians, you guys aren't perfect. I know Christians, you guys fail all the time. They, they look at the church and probably 
more so now than ever before, and they see a, a group of people filled with inconsistencies, filled with mixed messages. Christians who have one message. You know, we have one message because we have one Savior and we have one faith. And yet, in tumultuous times, there's a confusion that comes from the church because they hear so many messages from believers. They hear so many different things. They see inconsistencies in our mouths and in our behavior and in our obedience. They could even look at the church today, and I'm certain that you've had someone in your life, I'm certain that you've had someone that you talk to go, you know, I don't want anything to do with Christians because it's just that the church is filled with hypocrites. And you might be a little defensive on that. Next time somebody says that the church is filled with hypocrites, you just tell them, I know. I go to one. I understand. I am one. There's inconsistencies in my life, hypocrisies that flow from my life from time to time. You know, when someone brings that up to you, you might want to remind them the truth is they wouldn't really believe us on how bad we used to be. We may be bad now, but we were really bad apart from Christ. And you know, there might be difficulties now, but we are the product of a changed life. And not only are we a product of a changed life, but we're the product of a changing life. That's why it's inconsistent for a believer to live in sin, to live in unconfessed sin, to be dabbling. You know, some of you have been delivered some, some radical things. You have been delivered from them. That's why it makes no sense for you as a believer to go back to them. It just makes no sense. You might approach it, well, you know, I've been reading the Bible lately, Ed, and, and the Bible says I have freedom. Yeah, the Bible says you have freedom to stay away from the things that God delivered you from in the first place. And we are filled with inconsistencies and hypocrisies at times. You're right. But man, we were so much worse before the Lord got a hold of us. We were so, we were filled with so much, and yet today we're saved and we're redeemed and we're justified. You could say that workmanship, you could also kind of think of it as a trophy. God, God sees you and me as his trophies of grace. That we become the examples of what God can really do. We see failures all around. We've been studying the hall of faith and each time we come to one of the men or women in the hall of faith, we're reminded that they weren't perfect people, that they were filled with failure and God was really gracious with them and yet they also paid the price for the consequences of forgiven sin. They had a relationship with God, but they stumbled along the way. And, and as they stumbled, they, they had to face the consequence, all the difficulties for sure. So it's the trophy doesn't rep represent perfection, but it does represent the faithfulness of God. And that's how you're going to look at yourself. You're going to either see yourself for your failures, or you're going to see yourself for the faithfulness of God. And I just choose the latter. I don't want to focus on all my failures as much as I want to remember that God is still working in my life. It's a gift of his grace. He's still working, still working. Even now as I'm speaking to you, as you're listening to this, God is at work in your life. And sometimes I think that we look at each other and we look at each other and say, oh, you know, that's not good. That's not right. How can you do that? And why are you doing that? And it's like the Lord saying is our potter, you know, he says, he, he answers back, he says, oh no, you know, what you see, it's not even half as bad as they are. You, you don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know how bad they are. You don't know how bad they could be. You don't know how bad they would be, but I'm working in them. I'm fashioning them. And it helps us to show patience with one another and how wonderful 
work of God is in our lives. So why the reminder of God's work? Not only for us, but I want to introduce you today to a man by the name of Peter. So draw with me 1 Peter chapter 1, and let's read together. Are you ready? Verse 1. Peter. Let's stop right there. That's what we're going to look at today. Peter. Peter, a trophy of the grace of God. You know, it didn't begin with you, right? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 was written long before you were born. The work of God didn't begin with you. As you go back looking through the men and the women in the Bible, God has done the same thing all throughout the ages. In the very beginning of time, in the Garden of Eden, where do we find but a gracious, loving Father going after the brokenness of the kids in the Garden after their great failure. God was going after them, pursuing them, because grace started in the Garden. Creation in of itself is an act of the grace of God. Uh, him giving us the opportunity to worship him in spirit and in truth. And notice it says Peter is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter launches his letter not as, it doesn't say, Peter, I'm the big failure you read about. Yeah, I'm the guy that puts my foot in my mouth. Oh yeah, I'm the guy that fell when I did stop looking at Jesus. That's who I am. just wanted you to know, Peter the failure. No, no, no. He's Peter an apostle. He belongs to Jesus Christ. He isn't write himself, he doesn't describe himself, I should say, as Peter the fisherman, or Peter the failure, or Peter the doubter, or Peter the denier. There's a lot of ways he could describe himself, but when he writes his letter, inspired of the Spirit, speaking to the church, encouraging them, he writes as an apostle, one that's sent by God. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's not a failure, but an apostle. God's identity. You know, there were many today, and even those who, and earlier on, the scholars of the time, that questioned the authorship of this letter. And there will be actually people that read, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and you would say to them, uh, you know, their teachers and professors, who wrote Peter? Peter didn't write Peter. But it says Peter wrote Peter. Doesn't it say Peter in your letter? Look again at your Bible. What does it say? Say it out loud. Peter. So who wrote first Peter? Peter. Don't let the skeptics and everyone try to undermine. Peter wrote Peter. Some say, oh, it was somebody that forged his letter. Well, I encourage you, it's not a long letter. It's very quick to read. It's only a few chapters. Spend some time over the course of us going through Peter together. Read the whole thing in one sitting. Just read the whole thing in one sitting and listen to Peter, the pastor. Remember when Peter was restored by Jesus? He was told, tend to my flock. Tend my flock. Take care of my sheep. Those were words that speak of shepherding and pastoring. And as you read the book of 1 Peter and even 2 Peter in one sitting, just read it down, sit down, read it through. Tell me if you don't hear. I'll draw it out in our Bible studies. It'll take some time as we go verse by verse. But I'll draw it out to show you the pastoral heart of this man. How he learned from his mistakes. How he grew from them. How he learned. He wasn't this untrained. Remember, jot it down in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, 
One of the criticisms that Peter, didn't, that Peter wrote this or didn't write this is that he was just an untrained fisherman. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, uh, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. Those are more technical terms in the Greek language that, that speak of not having formal training. The way we would say that today is, oh, look at Ed. He hasn't been to seminary. That's really what they're saying. Look at that guy. What kind of authority can he have in teaching the Bible? Where's his education? He's untrained. He's uneducated like us. And that's what they're saying about Peter. They saw boldness in them. They saw strength in them, but they came to, how is this possible? Because he wasn't formally trained. But we have to remember something. And even in your own life, because there may be that accusation in your life, it's like, who are you? You don't know the Bible. You might even come across somebody that's very well trained and, and they have a different theological belief. So you're trying to talk about the love of God and love of Christ. And it happens to me a lot where like, you know, somebody comes with their man-made religion and I go, no way, man. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. And then finally, when they're tired of hearing what the Bible has to say, it says, well, where, where did you go to school? Well, let's see, elementary school, I went to... Uh, and I think my junior high was this. And like, what, what does that have anything to do with it? What does the Bible say? And so with Peter, understand this. It's true statement that in the formalism of education, he was indeed untrained and uneducated. Except that understand, Jesus taught this guy day in and day out for three years. Three years. A thousand plus days he had a personal education from Jesus himself. And I don't know about you, but I would trade any formal education for three years hanging out with Jesus any day of the week. Now, of course, we don't have Jesus' physical presence today. We are unable to enjoy the training that that Peter received. However, we have the Holy Spirit in us. We have the Bible that's illuminated and our time invested our time invested. Every time you set to do your devos in the morning or at night, whatever, you're getting time with Jesus. Anytime, if you take me up on my offer and read through Peter on a regular basis through our study, you got time with Jesus. Anytime you're praying, you've got time with Jesus and the internal working of the Holy Spirit. Besides gathering for Bible study, besides Christian radio, besides listening to studies on your app, besides watching teachings on YouTube, all of those things, they provide training. Don't let anyone minimize you because you don't have formal education. And I realize some of you wanted formal, some of you still want formal education. But I'm telling you that time with Jesus will get you where you want to go. Now, I'm often misunderstood at this point where I'll get an email or somebody, oh, there's that again, talking about seminary. Listen, if I could have gone to seminary, I would have. I love to study. I love to read. I love to learn. And, and don't get mad at me, but school is very easy for me. Just always has been. That's how I got in so much trouble. Uh, School was very easy. The system of learning, I adapt very quickly, and I can learn things relatively quickly, which means I finish things early. It has a lot of time on my hands, and all that time on my hands got me in a lot of trouble. So I I love school, but I because I got in a lot of trouble and I got myself a little backwards in life, I couldn't go to school. It just wasn't possible. So don't misunderstand me when you say that. Uh, If I could, I would. 
um, even open to uh, having education as an open doors. Like, I am no way whatsoever, ever, never, never against formal education. I'm not against seminary education or Bible college education. We have many young people right now, they're in Bible college, both online and they're there on, the, on, on campus. I love education. I love Bible college. I love seminary. I, just like I taught my kids. I taught my kids this from the moment they could understand it. I said, look, get as much education as you can, as fast as you can, and the dad in me, of course, added, as cheap as you can. Because education opens doors. And in our culture, the more education you have, the more doors that open. And of course, some of you are in very skilled positions and places that require education. And that's God's calling in your life. And so you pursued it. So don't misunderstand me that, that man, oh, Ed's against education. Not at all. At all. Get as much training as you can. But listen, I am as a pastor and as your friend, I am against the idea that simple education, apart from the Holy Spirit, is really useful for the kingdom of God. It needs to have the Spirit of God. So what I mean by that too, for those of you listening, like want to spend all this money on seminary, like if you're just going to seminary for the degree and not to be trained in ministry by the Holy Spirit, then what's the use? What's the purpose? You're on this earth for the kingdom of God. So everything that we do needs to be for the kingdom. We, we want to be able to, but, but at the same time, listen, don't underestimate the education and training of Peter. Don't underestimate, don't come to him like that and go, oh, they're uneducated and untrained men. Because some of you turn to Acts 4 and you know that the verse doesn't end there. The verse doesn't end with, oh, they were uneducated. Like it, they, they, the verse goes on, it says they marveled. Here's the rest of the verse. They marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. That was the key. Oh, they're uneducated and untrained. But the boldness that they had was because they were with Jesus. They were enjoying him. We can't underestimate the man here or even underestimate what God can do through your life. You, individually, your own story. You have your own educational story. You have your own life story. You, have, you, you think you'd know, be a little bit farther ahead or you might have made some mistakes that slowed you down. Don't underestimate the power of how fast God can train you in the ministry. And I don't just mean professional. Think in ministry sometimes you think only pastor. But the word ministry just has in it the idea of serving. And not even in the context of a church necessarily but you are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are. You don't need the pastor title or the deacon title or the elder title. You have all the titles you need to be effective in the kingdom of God. All the titles you need. You are a man or a woman who loves Jesus Christ. That's it. You are, it's just as useful for the kingdom as anyone else. That you would rise to the occasion of what God's called you to do and be faithful to it. We can't underestimate what God did in Peter for three years of his life. We don't want to minimize the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. I don't want you to underestimate where you've been trained and what God is doing in your life and not to minimize the power of the Spirit of God in your life. Warren Wiersbe, in his commentary on Peter, said this, and I quote, Some writings are manufactured out of books the way freshman students write term papers. But this letter grew out of a life lived to the glory of God. A number of events in Peter's life are woven into the fabric of this 
epistle. I love that. This letter was, grew out of a life lived to the glory of God. And Peter writes it as a pastor. I want you to think of Pastor Peter as you read through this. He has a true shepherd's heart. In all the scriptures, I believe Peter's life is recorded for us so that we might see a vivid example of a life that was changed by the Spirit of God in a wonderful way. Please, when you read of Peter, don't write yourself off. Don't write yourself off the list of people that God can use. Don't say, well, you know, Ed, this is where I've been, and this is what I've done, and this is where I'm at, and this is what's on. Don't write yourself off. Let Peter be an example to you, an encouragement to you. Well, you know, Ed, I haven't been to seminary. Okay. What does God want to do in your life? You know, I couldn't go to Bible college. Okay. I couldn't even graduate high school, Ed. I didn't even make it out of high school. Okay. But you have the Spirit of God in you, and God can use you. And you know, God doesn't measure, the kingdom doesn't measure that way. I know the world measures that way, but the kingdom of God doesn't. The kingdom of God has one question. Are you born again? Because if you're born again, then you're in relationship with God. The spirit of God dwells in you and you will be sanctified and continue to fashion and mold and grow in your understanding of who he is. And I just know that there are those listening right now that have written themselves off for one reason or another. I was reading recently in the Proverbs, though a man falls seven times, and a lot of guys just stay right there. I've fallen too many times. I can't get back up. I don't want to get back up. I'm sick of falling. I'm sick of failing. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, though a man falls seven times, he will rise again. Go ahead. What if I fall an eighth time? Well, if there was another proverb, it would say, though a man fall eight times, he'll rise again. Like, get up. Get back in the race. If ever, there needed a, if ever our culture and our world needed a strong, clear example of a believer in your life, you individually, it's now. It's right now. Don't write yourself off because with Jesus, there's hope for anyone. I know we've blown it and I know we've stumbled. I know many of us aren't educated. I used to say it this, in a message like this, I would say, I didn't even finish Bible college but you guys know that I finally, sitting on my couch at home, took the last few classes, and now I do have a piece of paper that says, after ministering many, many years, I now can say I have an associate's degree in theology of the Bible College. Woohoo! But I didn't need it. I was out here without it. God moved me here. He didn't say, I'm looking for someone to go to Colorado. Ed, what do you say? Oh, Lord, send me. Well, can you show me your resume? He just said, go. I'll be with you. I'll use you. Not even knowing what we were getting into. Not even knowing what God would do when we moved here. Not knowing what, what, how we would be used except to m- model and follow the models that God had given me to love people and teach the Bible. You reduce ministry down to that. Just you're loving people, right? You're loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You're loving others, and you're sharing the Bible one way or another. Sometimes you're sharing a verse. Sometimes you're sharing your life, but you're sharing God's word through you. Like the brother that called on the radio show today and just saying, you know, how can I help my friend going through these things? And one of the things the Lord just laid on me is just continue being the good Christian friend that you are. God's using you already. And just be there for the brother. It's not even so much what you say as much as that you're there, loving, caring, and concerned about this guy. 
Because love, even if it's not acknowledged, people know real love. They know it when it's beyond, like they know real love. They may not be able to explain it, but people know it. They, they know fake love of the world because we've all been on, we know the fakeness of this world, but they can sense the reality of a person touched by grace. That's why the gospel has to be front and center. When we first meet Peter in the Bible, remember he's a fisherman, a, a, a laborer. He, he worked hard. He was a determined man, but he was also an impetuous man. In Matthew chapter 4, turn over there with me, would you? Matthew chapter 4. Pick up with me when you get there in verse 18. But we, we see the call of Peter in his life. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Where it says, Now Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. Hey, come, in the New Living it says, come follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. Isn't that great? That, like that's what he was doing for a living. That was his livelihood. That's what he was trained in. And God's telling him, look, I know what you know about fish, and I'm going to take all that knowledge you have as a fisherman, and I'm going to show you how you can use it for people. I'm going to use you, Peter. I know you might look at yourself and think all I can do is fish, and, and I'm not even that good of a fisherman to begin with. But Jesus comes and says, I'm going to redeem, and I'm going to use who you are for the gospel. And I like that. He gets up immediately, or in the, the New Living, he gets up at once. Matthew doesn't use that word too much with Peter, but it, it makes sense. They get up immediately, and they follow. Immediately. Peter liked to jump into things, you know. He was that kind of personality. He liked to get involved. He was the kind of guy that liked to make things happen. And when you're that kind of person, there's a lot of mistakes that follow you because you just jump in. He, he wasn't like Thomas. Unfortunately, Thomas is normally known as doubting Thomas. I don't know so much that he was doubting Thomas as much as he was hesitant. And he was the kind of guy that liked more information before he made a decision. That's Thomas. Peter wasn't that kind of guy. He didn't need a lot of information. Sometimes he didn't need any information, although he really should have gotten information. It would have changed the way he behaved. But he was just like, all right, let's do it. As if they're, like those that maybe go into a pool, you know, there are those toe tippers. Maybe you're a toe tipper at the pool. And you're just like, oh, I'm not jumping in. I'm going to see what the temperature is. Oh, okay. You put your toe in there. And then you put your toe in there. And then maybe you sit on the edge and put your ankles in there. And then maybe you put your legs in there. And then eventually, two days later, you finally get in the pool. But then while you're doing that, 60 other people jumped over your head. And they're just like, boom, I'm in. I'm in. There's a pool. I know what to do in a pool. I don't care what the temperature is. I'll deal with it when I get in there. That's Peter. He's just like, man, I'll deal with it when I get in there. Sometimes it's gloriously used by the Lord. Other times it got him in trouble. Peter liked to jump into things. And while there are negatives to that, there are wonderful positives. Many times Peter in the, was in the middle of super amazing, exciting things. Peter gets no, he's remembered for sinking when he took his eyes off the Lord. 
he should be remembered as only one of two people that ever walked on water. Have you walked on water lately? You stop giving Peter a hard time. And if you do walk on water, it will be a viral video, so make sure somebody is there with a phone. But we don't think of, we think of Peter, oh, look, he took his eyes off the Lord, which indeed he did, and that's a good Bible study uh, to share. It's very good applicationally. But before you ever get to his eyes off the Lord, you've got to see his eyes on the Lord, stepping out of the boat while everyone else stayed in. And what he got to experience had to be a story he shared many, many times, just saying, yeah, bro, I walked on water with you done lately, you know? So good. There are great times, but there are also times when he got in trouble, where it was obvious that there was still work to be done, the frailty of his life. And as the story goes, we know that as he walked on water, his zeal, his impetuousness couldn't sustain him because it wasn't too long that fear crept in and he sunk. Really, he becomes a mirror image of us many ways where we have great times of seeing the life of Christ lived out in us, great victories. I mean, there'll be times when victories you go, man, that was good, Lord. I never thought I'd respond like that. Or thank you for restraining me. Thank you for self-control. Thank you for love. Thank you for like, man, Lord, that's good. And yet there are other times where my flesh is there and I'm like, oh, that's bad. That's all, Ed. And I've learned over the years, it's taken me, taken me many years to learn this, but I've learned over the years that anything good in my life, God gets all the credit. And anything bad, that's all my fault. It's all me. Any of the flesh and sin, it's all me. It's not part me and part someone else, it's all me. I am responsible for my own decisions. And if there's any success, and there's any progress, and there's any refinement, any maturity that comes in my life, it, all the credit goes to God. Do you know the Bible says that God will not share his glory with any man? We're not to take the glory for anything. We're not to take the glory for any spiritual success. We're not to give it to any of our works. So why are you so strong? Because I read the Bible. No, the first response is, why are you where you are today? By the grace of God. By the grace of God. That's good and bad. You know, there's that phrase where we look at someone in the difficulty and we might say, well, there but by the grace of God go I. And it, we're kind of saying, well, God's grace held us back from great failure. But you know, God's grace holds us up. God's grace doesn't just hold us back from great failure. God's grace also holds us up to great success for him. So any success that comes in our life, any progress, it's all by the grace of God. The grace of God wasn't just how things began. And the grace of God isn't just going to be how things end. Everything in between, it's all grace. We can take credit for nothing. Zero. It's all God. And Peter, as he's writing, understands this. And there are those times where the understanding of God's grace comes through great failure. Failure is not a treasured commodity today. It's not something lifted up in society, but failure is a great teacher. And Peter was, Jesus affirmed his word because Peter was changed into that fisher of men. And you'll see that in this letter. He was changed into a fisher of men by the power of God's Holy Spirit. Peter changed, and so can you. Peter matured, and so can I. He grew, as he's going to tell us, in God's grace and knowledge. 
Many people believe that the purpose of the Holy Spirit is just to save us and then leave us on our own. Okay, we're done. We're born again. Let's go out and do what we need to do on our own. But the Holy Spirit is in our lives, not just to save us and leave us where we are, but also to change us and mature us. But here's one of the problems that you face. One of the problems is that we, like Peter, think we already mature enough. And if just people would catch up with us, then the church could make some progress. You know, we're where we need to be. And if just my husband would get it, then, then we'd make it. If my daughter would get it, then we'd make it. If my wife would get it, then we'd make it. And we have this prideful arrogance about us that, man, if everybody would just catch up with me, then the church would make the progress. But Peter would find himself doing that often among the people he served with. It was a part of his flesh that plagued him. He often thought too highly of himself. It's one of the least confessed sins in our lives, you know? Pride, arrogance, thinking too highly. Let me show you another. Would you go to Matthew chapter 26? Matthew chapter 26. I mean, this is Peter. This is the same Peter here in Matthew that's now writing two letters in the inspired word of God. Just look how far he's come. Be encouraged. Like today, if you're so beat up and, and hurt over your own failure, I want to help you turn around. I say, yeah, I know. I know it hurts right now, and I know it's hard right now, and I know you would wish you were farther along. You, I, I, know, I know that it's difficult. You, you wish you didn't. I, I know all that, but can you just consider this? Look how far you've come. Look how far you are. And look what God has done. And just to change a perspective, because look, what, look what happens. This is Peter. This is the same Peter that's going to write this letter when he says, notice in verse 31. Uh, he says, then Jesus said to him, all of you will be made, or to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. So let's just pause for a second. Just consider this. Jesus Christ the Son of God is speaking, and he says very clearly, translated into English, all of you will be made to stumble. So the people in front of him, how many does he mean to say in the people in front of them? All means all. All of them. Everyone. Jesus is giving you a warning. He's like, look, all of you are going to be made to stumble when I'm struck. Because that's what the Bible says. The, it's predicted. All of you. And you could even say, it doesn't say it, it's not inspired, but you could even say maybe Jesus gave one of those side eyes or he's looking at, and he says, all of you, yes, you too, Peter, will be made to stumble, possibly. Because look at how Peter responds. Peter answered in verse 33, even if all, okay, so he's interpreting all differently than Jesus because his interpretation of all is all except me. That's pride. Don't think for a moment you've never reinterpreted the word all. So here he is. Even if all, basically selling out all his buddies, everybody here, even if, just like you said, Jesus, even if everybody here, except me, falls, I will never be made to stumble. Part of me wants to say, I challenge you. I don't want to challenge you this, but understand, whenever you start using absolute words like I never, just be ready for God to work. I'll never stumble. Yeah, Peter, 
he says in verse 35, or 34, surely I say to you, I say to you that before the rooster crows, you'll deny me. It's Peter, you won't even, you won't just stumble. You're going to fall really hard. It's going to be bad. And Peter said to him, even if I, even if I have to die with you, I won't deny you. And so said all the disciples. I don't doubt the sincerity of Peter here. I don't doubt the fact that he truly meant this. I don't know so much that this was an arrogant outburst to tick everyone off. I think the brother believed it. I think he was loyal to the end. I I think that he loved Jesus, that he was all in. He was ready. He understood. The problem was is he trusted in himself so much that he didn't let Jesus give this little lesson to him to warn him. It happens when you're in a Bible study with me or anyone else. You've been studying the Bible for 20 years. Maybe you've studied Peter before and you're like, oh, I know Peter. And then, you know, you don't even come in. You don't even listen on the radio. You don't even watch online. You're listening to this way down. I know Peter. I've studied it. But, but like you've got that sense of, but God wants to do something new in your life. So whatever you studied it before was for the time you studied it before. God wants to do something new right now. He doesn't want you to settle in on the past. Today is the day. Every day is a new day in the Lord. Every day is a new day. I'm looking at this with fresh eyes myself. God, what do you have to say to me through Peter? How do you want me to grow? And we know with Peter, he fell and he fell hard. And we know that he wept and we know he wept bitterly. And yet he was still sustained by his Savior because he was restored gloriously. He came back. And you know, when Jesus met Peter the first time, he had a new name for him. It says in John 1, let me read it to you, Andrew went to find his brother Simon. Simon literally means hearing. And you can write it right here in 1 Peter chapter 1, just in wherever you have, if you have room to write it. Simon means hearing or God has heard. But from that day forward, he was renamed to Peter or Cephas, which literally means stone or rock. That there was going to be a stability in Peter's life. And I wonder if his brother chuckled a little bit, right? Because, you know, as siblings, we know each other better than most people. And you're like, you know, I wonder if his brother's like, Peter, a stone? I don't think. Maybe a pebble, but not a stone. Like, they, like it, he is all over the place. Uh, he, it's hard to pin him down. And I wonder if they look at him and they go, maybe Simon, he's going to become a stone? His life is more like shifting sands. And yet what Jesus spoke into his life came to pass. And after spending time with Jesus, he becomes stronger, so much so that he becomes a great leader in the church. And it's important as we close today just to pause and remember that Peter wasn't the leader in the church. Because, you know, Peter gets pointed at as being the first pope in the beginning of the Roman Catholic Church. That's not true in any way whatsoever. It's part of man-made religion. He was a leader. He wasn't the leader. And many times, you can read ahead because we'll get into it next time, but many times when people want to make that point, they'll take you to Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 or so. You can read that for next time because we'll look at it a little bit deeper so that you understand that Peter played the same, a similar role that you and I do and that he was a servant of God 
changed by the grace of God. So Father, as we consider Peter today and we just consider all that you want to accomplish in our lives, forgive us if we have been haughty or high-minded. Thank you for Peter. Thank you for this man who went uh, from hearing, you know, he had that word about having ears to hear his name meaning, but then he became the stone. He became the rock. He became the man built upon the rock-solid foundation of you, Jesus. And I just pray for a wave of encouragement to flow through us in our church, those that might be connected with us from a distance, that, that we would not write ourselves off, that we would not write others off. I just get that maybe there are siblings right now writing each other off because they're siblings. But rather we would have that spirit of encouragement that we would build one another up in our most holy faith. That we would not pinpoint all the problems and difficulties and hardships and failures in a person. But that we would glory and, and rejoice and worship you, God, in the good things that you've brought about in their lives. And the changes that you brought about in their lives. And that we would walk with you, God, seeing hope and potential instead of failure and misery. And we would respond accordingly by your Spirit. So thank you, God, just meditating on where Peter was, where he's come from, knowing that we all have a story, we all have a testimony, and just collectively, God, we ask for your forgiveness for thinking less of ourselves than you do that we might adopt and receive your identity once again and see ourselves like you see us, washed and cleansed. You see us being changed from glory to glory and strength to strength. I pray for those that are really struggling with addiction and, and battling it, Lord, to the point of sin, that you would deliver them, God, that they would present themselves to you as slaves of righteousness, and you would just meet them there like the prodigal son coming home. The prodigal son coming home was no longer prodigal. So bring them back, Lord. Bring us back. As you had us, you know, shape us and mold us into the season that's up ahead for us. Thank you, God, for your restorative, reconciling, rebuilding work in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.